Well, hello, everyone. It is great to be with you again and to, to open up God's Word. We're going to have a great time this morning with, with Luke chapter 19. And we're going to answer that question that you just saw on the, on the bumper video. Why on earth? Why on earth did Jesus come to earth? Always a great question, especially around Christmas time. Now, there's a lot I want to show you in Luke 19, so please go ahead, grab a Bible, go there immediately. You know, they say that there is a, a fine line between a long, drawn-out sermon by a preacher on Sunday and a hostage situation. So to avoid being accused, it's not very nice when preachers that, to avoid being accused of holding you all hostage, let's just go for it. Luke 19 an extremely familiar passage to anyone who's knocked about church for any length of time. Certainly, if you've been in church since you were a kid, you'll have heard of the Zacchaeus story, right? The, the wee little man, Zacchaeus. It's a wonderful story with lots of amazing twists and turns. Now, I've struggled a little bit this week trying to figure out how to help you get into a text that is perhaps very familiar to you. Because there's, there's preconceived ideas that you might have already of this story, influenced from the little storybooks that you've read or read, read to your kids. You know, Zacchaeus up a tree smiling at Jesus and coming down. Uh, and so I, I've struggled to, to figure out how to structure it. And, and there's so much of this story that I've come to realize is dependent on what's around the story that, that I want to take you there. Uh, this morning for a little while as well. I was inspired by a story I read this week of a student preacher in the 19th century at Charles Spurgeon's school in London. Now, for those of you who don't know, Charles Spurgeon is perhaps one of the best known preachers in the English-speaking world ever. And he had a school uh, uh, to teach uh, man to become pastors. And one of the things he would do was on a Friday, it seems, he would have them all gathered and he would randomly pick one, just call one up. And he would then randomly give them a text of scripture to preach from. They had to come up and come up with a sermon that they had never seen before and deliver it off the cuff. That's, that's pretty brutal, right? It's, it's like me calling one of you up today and saying, you know what, you're up. Russian roulette, right? That's, that's dangerous stuff. And, and this guy, this student preacher who's become my hero of the week, he stepped up with much fear and trembling. And he looked at his, his, his friends, his colleagues, and he took a big gulp of air and, and he was handed the Zacchaeus story and he said this, there are three things I'd like to point out about the Zacchaeus story. First, he was of little statue in the world, and so am I. Second, he got himself stuck up a tree, and so am I. Third, he hurried back down, and so, so will I. And he sat down. I thought, boy, that was short and sweet and to the point. That was genius. Quite a remarkable effort for someone who got very little notice. It inspired me to make sure that I don't hold you all hostage today but that we get into the wonderful truths of this very familiar story and see what God has for us. So that said, let me, let me get right at it. The first thing I'd like you to see is the context. 
the, the context really is in chapter 18. Now, you don't need to go there. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's there. But it really, one of the themes that's being addressed is who is lost? Who is lost? Who's distant from God? Who's estranged from God? Jesus deals with that in the Gospel of Luke, but certainly in, in chapter 18, it escalates a little. Jesus tells a story of a, of a Pharisee and a tax collector in chapter 18. It, it's a parable. It's a fictional story. It, it didn't happen. It's, it's a story that Jesus makes up to prove a point, but the point is true. And then the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you have the story of one who thinks that he is safe with God and one who knows that he is not, that he is lost. You have the story of, of, of a Pharisee who essentially comes into the temple and he says, Lord, I'm good. I'm a good guy. Of course you'd want me. I pray, I tithe, I go to church. I'm not like that clown, the tax collector back there. The tax collector, he stays at a distance, it says. And he beats his chest and he says this, God, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. It's a story of, of one who does not know that he is lost and one that does know that he is lost. Both are lost. One gets it. The other one doesn't. One asks for mercy. The other one seems to want a thank you note from God for his good living. The irony that Jesus is bringing out in this beautiful parable is that the Pharisee, which is essentially the ancient pastor, is the one who has the bad heart, who doesn't get it. And the sinner, the tax collector, is the one who has the good heart. He does get it. Now, Jesus doesn't just tell stories, fictional accounts that are detached from reality, no matter how concrete they are. Jesus tells stories that reflect life. And so what follows that in chapter 18 is two illustrations, one in chapter 18 and one in chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. And those two stories are two real encounters that Jesus has with two individuals that echo the characters in the parable. The first one is an illustration of a, of a churchy ruler, a churchman. We refer to him, and perhaps your copy of the scriptures has this as a heading, uh, the rich young ruler. And, and he's a good guy. He represents the Pharisee. He's a bit of a goody two-shoes, holy looking, holy living. The text tells us that he is rich and that he is a ruler and that he's good living and that he seeks out Jesus and that he receives an invitation from Jesus to follow after Jesus because he's lost in his good living and it's empty, but he rejects it. He rejects Jesus' offer. You see, he chooses money over God. God is in his uh, life. God is who he wants to follow after, but God is number two. Money is number one. Uh, and money is not gonna be dethroned by God in the rich young ruler's life. It's the story of one who's lost and remains lost. It's, it's the story of, of the parable of the Pharisee. 
Jesus draws out a, a lesson from this. He, he says this, and this is a very familiar verse, again, for many who have knocked about church for a while. It's easier for a big, fat, massive, humpy camel to be squeezed through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, no matter how good living he is, to enter into the kingdom of God. And that startles his audience. They, they respond, well, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Well, that encounter with Jesus is followed up in chapter 19 with a second illustration. The illustration of the story of Zacchaeus still dealing with this question of who is lost? Who's lost? And I want to walk you through it verse by verse. So hopefully you have your sermon notes handy and, and we'll be able to get at it. It's just a wonderful story, full of irony, full of reversal. Jesus loves reversals. I mean, he really loves reversals. So look at verse uh, one in chapter 19 with me. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and he was passing through. He's passing through chapter 18. We know that he's heading to Jerusalem. In chapter 18 as well, we know that he's heading to Jerusalem to save a lost humanity. So he's passing through Jericho. Verse two, and behold, there was a rich man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So there he is, Zacchaeus, our wee little man is a tax collector, like in the parable. And, and that's not good. To be a tax collector is not good. If you read the Gospel of Luke or if you read any of the Gospels or study a little bit of ancient first century life in Israel, you'll realize very, very quickly that the tax collectors are lumped in with the worst of the worst. In Luke 7, we read of, of gluttons and drunkards and sinners and tax collectors. I mean, that's not the crew that you want to be associated with. They were very much unwanted then, and they, they still smell a little off today, right? Guys, come on, don't judge me. I know your history, USA. Yeah. Taxation without representation, right? The tax man wasn't very popular around here. Boston Tea Party, Revolutionary War and all of that. Tax man has always been sort of uh, suspicious, always smelled a little bit off. Now, listen, fair taxes are good and godly. I'm not against taxes, but tax collectors back then were not good and they were not godly and their taxation was not fair. We're introduced to this wee little man through a very negative lens. We're not supposed to like him. And he wasn't liked. Tax collectors like this chap were bullies. They were, they were making money off the backs of their countrymen, exploiting their own countrymen for their own personal advantage. Uh, and so they were traitors. They were essentially the Benedict Arnolds of their day, right? They gave up God's ways and they gave up God's people so that they could make more money. And money they made, bucket loads of money. They taxed everything. You can look at the sort of stuff they taxed and you go, oh my goodness, how did they get away with that? Well, they got away with it because the Romans, who were the overlords in that region at the time, they got the bit that they wanted. And, and, and they enforced whatever the local tax collector wanted to charge. Essentially, the Roman soldiers were in people like Zacchaeus' back pocket. 
their, their muscle, their cronies, right, who, who harassed and intimidated and bullied people to pay up unfair amounts of money. So people like Zacchaeus made bucket loads of monies, and the Romans didn't care as long as they got what they wanted. Romans essentially franchised out tax districts to the local highest bidder. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He, he's the scum of the earth. And if you look closely at verse two there, it tells us that he wasn't any ordinary tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. Did you know that that category is not used elsewhere in the entire New Testament? It's a very, very rare role. Zacchaeus is the boss of all the other little despicable tax collectors. He gets a cut of everyone's extortion. He is the head of this pyramid scheme and he's at the very top and he's untouchable. And this is in Jericho. If you know anything of Jericho, Jericho is the spot where you want to own a tax franchise. This is where Chick-fil-A and Starbucks would set up shop. It's, it's a prosperous place. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's sunny and it's well watered. It's in the desert, but there's lots of water, lots of palm trees. In fact, it's referred to as the Garden of Eden of Palestine. This is definitely where you want to own the best tax franchise the Romans have put on the market. Zacchaeus has it. He's the chief tax collector. This is ancient Florida, my friends. This is where you want to live. Everyone went through Jericho. And everyone who went through Jericho put something into Zacchaeus' wallet. He was rich. Rich off the back of cheating other people. This is dirty money. Zacchaeus is essentially a cartel boss. The worst of the worst. We don't tell the kids that when they're singing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man in Sunday school. Of course we don't. But the reality is that Zacchaeus was a wee nasty little man. Zacchaeus was a nasty wee little man. There's no doubt about it. And you're to understand him as you enter into this story through that lens. Interestingly, we're given his name. There are lots of people in the Gospels who do way more than Zacchaeus does and we never hear their name. But, but Luke, God through Luke, wants us to know the name Zacchaeus. Why? Irony. You know what the name means? Innocent. Clean. Pure as in ethically, as in character. It means a man of integrity. Zacchaeus' mom and dad held high hopes for their little boy that one day he would grow up to become a man of integrity before his fellow countrymen and a man of God in his society. Sorry, mom. Little Saki boy didn't become that. You're meant to see in the, in the naming of his name a, a massive ironic turn in this man's life. Mr. Integrity became Mr. Swindler. That's who he is. He's a nasty wee little man. Personifies lostness. Now look at, look at verse three because there's a little twist to this story. Uh, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He's, he's curious about Jesus. 
but he has a problem. But on account of the crowd, he could not. He could not see who Jesus was because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass by that way. This nasty wee little man gets interested in Jesus. Something happens to this guy. Something happens to this chap. He's curious, who is Jesus? What is all the fuss about this guy, Jesus? Why on earth is he in Jericho? Perhaps Zacchaeus has heard of the miracles and he's curious. Perhaps he's heard that a former tax collector called Matthew now follows Jesus and he's curious. Perhaps he's interested in who might be the next king and whether he has tax plans and whether he needs a tax guy. I think in light of chapter 18, that the reality is that this nasty wee little man was dissatisfied with his rich and empty life, sipping lattes in his villa in ancient Florida. He knows he's lost and he knows he's empty. There's got to be more to life than getting a good tan and getting fat on lattes is this guy's perspective. If you read it through the lens of chapter 18, something happened to this man. He can't sleep at night. There's a tug at his heart. There's an ache in his chest that he's beating. So he's curious about Jesus and he seeks Jesus out. And there are a few obstacles in his way. One of them is a large crowd. Now, if you're Zacchaeus living in Jericho, you don't want to go into a large crowd. You're going to get a black eye, an elbow in the eye. You're going to get kicked around as, as the crowd kind of hides in itself. And he's a little guy, so he can't see past them anyway. So, so what does he do? He runs ahead of them all and he climbs up that sycamore tree. The irony really is, is that this big bully in town is a micro man. In fact, that's the word that's used. He's micro. He's titchy. Despite him being a big bully and, and those, that running and climbing, if you understand a little bit about the world in which they live in, is what no respectable person, no respectable adult would ever in public run and climb a tree. That's childlike behavior. That's acting like a child. That's embarrassing. But here's the thing, you've got to go back to chapter 18 because just after the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and just before the first encounter that Jesus has with the, the Pharisee, the rich young ruler, there's a few verses in which Jesus says this, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will never enter into it. Zacchaeus is, is doing what a child would do, but, but Jesus says that what a child would do is exactly what one must do to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here's the shock. Zacchaeus was a nasty wee little man, but he's searching for Jesus. That's shocking. We don't want him to search for Jesus. We don't want him to get Jesus. He's the chief tax collector in Jericho. Verse five has another twist to the story. This is so wonderful. Look at it with me. And when Jesus came to the place, that's the sycamore tree, 
that Zacchaeus climbed up. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. Jesus comes to that sycamore tree. He looks up, he eyeballs Zacchaeus and he calls him out by name. He knows his name. He knows the names of everybody in that crowd. But he singles this chap out who's, who's keeping his distance, remember. And he says, get down, I have plans for your life. I must stay at your villa. And it's not because it's the nicest villa in Jericho. It's because we need to talk. We need to have a chat. Friends, Jesus was searching for this nasty wee little man. That's why he must stay with Zacchaeus because while this nasty wee little man is seeking Jesus, the, the twist is that Jesus all along is searching for him, searching for this lost individual. This is, this is a divine search. That little word must is huge. I can't go into it, but it's huge, trust me. It speaks of divine mission, that Jesus is on a mission. Jesus essentially says to Zacchaeus, come down from positioning yourself literally and figuratively high above everybody else in this society in Jericho for personal advantage. Get down from there. We've got to talk. Like mom and dad had plans for your life, I've plans for your life too. So let's head home to your home. Let me into your home and let's chat. I want you to live up to that great name your mom and dad gave you. Mr. Integrity. Zacchaeus' concern was, how do I get to Jesus? But the reality is, this story is all about Jesus coming to find lost Zacchaeus. Who knows he's lost, that's why he's looking. Look at verse six, I, I love it. And I hope you're making the connections, right? Way back to the parable through illustration number one, rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Both are rich, both are rulers, both are seeking Jesus because both are lost, one in good living, one in bad living. Both receive an invitation from Jesus, but Zacchaeus is the one who takes him up in his offer. Shock. The cartel boss. Look at verse six. So he hurried and he came down and he received him, that's Jesus, joyfully. This is a summary statement of what I believe happened well into that evening as Jesus joins Zacchaeus in his villa. It's presented as a summary statement so that you see that Zacchaeus doesn't think about this anymore. He goes for it. Absolutely. I want to receive you. I want to receive you. Zacchaeus believes. This is what verse six is saying in a very short and precise way. Zacchaeus believed. Zacchaeus received with joy Jesus. Zacchaeus becomes a Christ follower. We sang a few moments ago, joy to the world. Let earth receive its king. Zacchaeus received his king joyfully. And it contrasts with the rich young ruler who leaves Jesus with much sadness in his heart in light of all that he believes he has to give up. Massive contrast there. What an absolutely fantastic encounter. That's where the story should end, right? I mean, that's, that's the end of the story in one sense. Everything's resolved, but it doesn't. There's a few more verses because there's a few more things that Jesus wants us to see. 
Three responses, three reactions to what has just happened here. Look at verse seven, where we have some spectators, the crowd, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. They grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, a man who's lost. How could he possibly do that? You can't do that, Jesus. You can't save that clown. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done to us all? The crowd disapproves of Jesus. The crowd disapproves of Jesus. They grumble about it. Think about that. Who would ever disapprove of Jesus? As I thought about that this week, I thought, well, have I ever disapproved of what God does in my life? Do you ever object to the way God operates in your life or his lack of involvement from your perspective in your life? We disapprove of Jesus all the time. We're more like the spectators here than we want to admit. Everyone's so quick to disapprove of Jesus. Back to chapter 18. Don't go there, but in verse 15, verse 28, verse 34, and verse 39, you've got people disapproving of what Jesus does. It's a theme in Luke. It's a common response of the crowd of many. Look at verse eight where we have Zacchaeus' response. Verse eight. And Zacchaeus, he's the true follower now, not the spectator, stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. Here's the fruit of Zacchaeus' salvation. It's not the cause of Zacchaeus' salvation. He received Christ by faith in verse 6. Verse eight is what he does in light of listening to Jesus sipping lattes at his villa that night, hearing of the love of God, hearing of the mission of God to the world, why he came to earth. When Zacchaeus hears about that and he realizes that he's been the object of God's affections, he responds with generosity. That's what true followers do when they receive Jesus. They, they, they want to live for him. They respond with gratitude. Zacchaeus essentially begins to live up to his name. After all, he becomes Mr. Integrity. When you study the Old Testament law, you read that if you've wronged someone, you're supposed to give them back the equivalent in value to what you took plus 20%. He gives back or commits to give back 400%. Plus 50% of everything that he owns, he's going to give to the poor. He's going to sell that villa, I assume. You see, money is not his God anymore, Jesus is. Money has been dethroned from uh, ruling his heart. And if Jesus is your God, you put money to good use, to his use. You become a steward. Money's not evil in itself. Money becomes evil if it is enthroned in your life, but, but if it's not enthroned in your life, it becomes a tool. It becomes a means through which you can say, thank you, God, I love you. I was uh, sitting at the table on Friday 
uh, doing some stuff, the kitchen table, and the kids were watching a movie, and guess what? I was glued to the movie. And I was glued to the movie because it took me back to when I was a little man. It was a Christmas carol, but it was a Christmas carol, the, the Mickey Mouse, you know, Walt Disney, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, McDuck version. I loved it. I, 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 I just loved it. And so I was glued, and as I watched it, I went, oh my goodness, Ebenezer Scrooge is the case. I gotta do a little bit of digging. I haven't had time to, to see if, if that really is the case, but certainly when you follow the plot line, Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck is the case. A nasty wee little piece of works who encounters, in his case, his dead partner in the spirit of his Christmas past, present, and future, and he has a conversion experience, and it changes his life. Of course, they've stripped Christ right out of that, but that's what's happened to Zacchaeus. Response number two from Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus joins Jesus' mission. He doesn't become a prayerful supporter of Jesus. He becomes a practical supporter of Jesus. Nothing wrong with prayerful support, but he becomes an active, practical supporter. And then look at response number three in verses nine and 10. This is Jesus' response to this entire situation. He says this in verses nine and 10. Let me, the response three is Jesus declares his mission is to the lost. But look at it in verses nine and 10. And Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. Meaning I've also come for him, right? I've come for the lost, I've also come for him. And then verse 10 is the key verse in the entire gospel of Luke. This is the key verse. This is the John 3.16 of the gospel of Luke. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's the whole point of this story. That's Jesus' mission statement. But we've seen Jesus' mission statement enacted in reality as he's interacted with two people. Essentially, this story is, is this. It's, it's, it's very ironic. Jesus finds a lost man who is looking to find Jesus. That's the reversal. Jesus finds a lost man who's looking to find Jesus in his lostness. So back to this question, who is lost? Who's lost? Well, the answer is we all are. We're all lost. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all lost, but some know they're lost and some live like they're not lost. But Jesus saves those who are lost and looking to him. Elsewhere, Jesus refers to it through this, the, 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 the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. Do you know that you're sick? If you know that you're sick, you will receive the doctor. If you know that you're lost, Jesus is coming right for you, to find you. So it's back to that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember the lesson from illustration number one was, uh, it is hard to squeeze a big, fat, humpy camel through the eye of a needle. 
And the response from the crowd is, well, then who can be saved? Well, the response of Jesus to that question is, what is impossible for man is possible for God. Who can be saved? Whoever God saves. And the illustration of Zacchaeus becomes proof of that. Essentially, Zacchaeus is the camel that Jesus, that God got through the eye of the needle. Zacchaeus is the camel because Jesus came to save those who know they're lost. So by way of closing, my friends, let me leave you with two questions. The first is, are you Zacchaeus up a tree? Is this your sycamore tree moment? I'm, I'm, I'm lost, but I'm looking. I'm curious. What's all the fuss about? Why on earth did he come to earth? My words to you is for you. If there's a tug at your heart, if there's an ache in your chest, it's because Jesus is coming to this moment today and saying, I've come for you. Get off that perch. Hurry down like Zacchaeus did. I want to go home with you. I want to be in your life eternally. It's time to be found. Jesus has come for you. It's time to receive him with the joy. It's time to believe. There are many churchy people in church who are lost and need find. There's another question I want to throw your way. It's in your sermon notes. Are you Zacchaeus at the villa with the Jesus? This is directed more towards those of you who have been found by Jesus Christ. You are saved, but remember, you're saved to serve. So, so are you that individual who's received Jesus with joy and, and, and is sitting with him on a daily basis? I want to remind you that you're saved to serve, that, that God wants to go on a mission with you as his active partner. I'd love you to go home at some point this week uh, and, I don't know, make a latte and sit down and grab a piece of paper and a pen. Maybe watch a Scrooge McDuck version of A Christmas Carol and reflect upon the Zacchaeus story and then write down this verse and maybe put it alongside of that other one that I know hangs in your house. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. I want you to write this one alongside of it as a motto for 2021. It's verse eight, Zacchaeus' response, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I'm not trying to guilt you. This is not about guilt. This is about gratitude. I'm not asking you to replicate his percentage giving. I'm asking you to just spend some time with him and reflect upon how grateful you are to Jesus Christ for coming to earth for you because you're lost. Hostage situation over. <laughs> let me close and let me just say this. Essentially, we're all the camels, right? that Jesus squeezes through the eye of a needle, all of us who've received his salvation by faith. Friends like my 19th century student preacher, hero of the week, 
The story of Zacchaeus. First, Zacchaeus was of little stature in the world and so were we. Don't ever forget that. Second, Zacchaeus got himself up a tree and so were we stuck up a tree. Third, Zacchaeus hurried down. He received Jesus and he partnered with Jesus in his mission and so must we. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this just amazing story that I, that I thought I knew and didn't until I spent time with you these past few weeks. I pray, Father, that if there's someone who's been listening here or through some sort of device or on a screen that has never actually received the Lord Jesus Christ, that this Christmas they would do that. That despite the mess that 2020 has been, that 2020 for them will be remembered as the day in which, as the year in which they entered into life with you. Father, and I pray that the rest of us who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally would move into 2021 with a commitment to be active partners in the gospel. That's why Christ came to earth to seek and to save the lost. Amen.